you have your Bibles, you're in turn to Psalm chapter 27. So today is the beginning of Advent. And Advent is a time of looking forward, of expectation towards Christmas. It comes from the Latin word Adventus, which meaning come, to come or to arise. And it is part of this looking forward to the birth of Jesus. So for the, the New Testament believers, they were, they were dreaming and praying and waiting on the Messiah to be born to deliver them from the oppression, to deliver them from their sins, and they were looking forward to it. So we celebrate Christmas with Advent to look forward to that day. But for us, it's not going to be a baby who we're looking forward to coming, but a king. A king. We look forward to a king coming. So these next 25 days, it's, it's a time of reflection and thinking and praying and dreaming about our king returning to deliver us out of our sins, deliver us out of oppression, deliver us out of bondage, deliver us out of pain, to deliver us out of sorrow, to deliver us out of suffering, to deliver us. So Advent is this time of dreaming of a future in which Jesus is in complete control of everything around us. And so it has to do with this idea of waiting. See, I'm a firm believer. Everybody loves Christmas, but everybody hates waiting. You know how I know that? Because some of you jokers do Christmas in July. Some of you start decorating Christmas stuff in your house at Halloween. Why? We love Christmas, but we hate waiting. But the problem biblically is you can't really look forward to Christmas without this waiting that happens. The waiting builds expectation. The waiting builds anticipation. The waiting creates a seeking. And God says he'll reward those who diligently seek him. See, the waiting is just as important as when Jesus comes. But we hate waiting. When you go through Florence, we moved here, we live couple miles from the church, it takes me longer to get from my house to church here than it did in Nashville when I lived 25 miles away. Why? There's 37 traffic lights from point A to point B. And I think for every green light you hit, you hit nine yellow lights or red lights to stop you. Like we were going through TSA, we get to the airport at 5.15 last Saturday morning, and we get there, and there's a line everywhere because the TSA is like the gates of hell. All these little demons, there's 75 demons working at the gate, but yet they have one lane open and they're just condemning everyone to go to the back of the line. Like, we, we hate waiting. Like, like, waiting is not something we're, in our Western minds, that we're accustomed to. Because when we're waiting, we realize we're not actually in charge. When I'm waiting in the line at TSA, I realize this guy who is has no education, probably failed his drug test to get his job, who are national securities in his hands, I'm in his hands. When I'm waiting at the traffic light, I'm not in charge. The traffic light is in charge. And as Americans, we like to be in charge. We like to rush. We like to hurry. And when it comes to God, you cannot rush God. You cannot hurry God. And so some of you, maybe you're not waiting for Christmas. Some of you, maybe you're waiting to finally get pregnant with the baby you believe God promised you to have. Maybe for some of you, you're believing or you're waiting on the healing in your physical body of a sickness or disease. Maybe for some of you, you're waiting for a son or a daughter who is an adult who turned away from God. You're waiting for them to come back to God. Maybe some of you are waiting for a promise you feel like God gave you years ago that you still haven't seen come to fruition and you're still 
waiting. Maybe some of you are waiting for God to restore some broken relationships. Maybe some of you are waiting for God to deliver you out of suffering. Maybe some of you are waiting for there to be peace. Maybe some of you are waiting for emotional healing or trauma. Maybe some of you, what I don't know what you're waiting for. It may not be for Christmas Day, but maybe, just maybe, you're waiting, and in the frustration, you start looking at God as the one who's the TSA agent who's preventing you from getting to what he's promised you. And the reason for that is we have a really, really bad theology of waiting. And our rush and hustle and bustle of life and our expedited shipping and our, and our speed passes at Disney World. And we, 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 we rush, and it's not like that in other parts of the world. Like in America, everybody's just running to and fro. You ask them what they're chasing and they'll tell you they're chasing success or, or blessings or, or prosperity. But what if what you're chasing after is actually behind you? And I think what... What we need is that we need a good theology of waiting. Because God is never rushed. He's never in a hurry. He's always on time. And Christmas is a great reminder that God is always on time. He always fulfills his promises. And his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And so as we get ready for Christmas, these next few weeks, here's my prayer. Is that instead of rushing towards Christmas... That we'll actually sit and wait and enjoy the days leading up to Christmas. To build anticipation, much like as we're waiting for the Christmas day to come. Anticipation that Jesus is a soon returning king that we're waiting for with high expectation, high anticipation for him to deliver us from everything. Here's what it says in Psalms 27. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Talk about memory verses, Pastor Anthony. No one wants to memorize this one where it says wait twice in just a few words. We like to hear, well, God's an on-time God. This one says, no, wait for the Lord. It's almost like a parenthesis. Wait, parentheses, wait. In the middle, be strong and let your heart take courage. Why is the psalmist saying that? Because he knows when we're waiting is when we grow weak because we get frustrated. When we're in the waiting, we, we don't take courage. We don't, we don't feel the hurt because we're frustrated. Something fills the gap in the waiting. Either anticipation or frustration. Excitement or dread. Uh, eagerness or an anxiety. Something fills the gap. And the psalmist is literally saying, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know what that tells me? God is a God who has a theology of waiting. Actually, it says, I looked it up, 154 times in the Bible, it says wait, the command to wait. 154 times with numerous words that actually mean to wait. But the one in the scripture is kaval, which means to hope while you wait. Trusting that the thing that you're awaiting will take place. But it also means a stretching or the tension of enduring while waiting. Meaning this word wait means that as you wait, there's a stretching that takes place. So as you're waiting for God, as you're being strong and taking courage, you're waiting. God is actually stretching something in you. And the only equivalent would be when Mary finds out she's pregnant from an angel. She conceives a baby with the Holy Spirit. It takes 10 months for the promise of conception to the delivery of the baby. And what filled the process in between conception and delivery was a whole lot of stretching going on. 
the stretching of her womb, the stretching of her emotions, the stretching of her dreams, the stretching of her faith. And, and while you're waiting, God is stretching you so you can contain the promise he wants to birth through you. While you're waiting, he's stretching your faith so you can hold on to the blessing or the miracle he's going to give you. Because if he gives it to you too early, it'll burst the wineskin of your soul. This stretching. And so as you're waiting in Advent, it's actually a stretching of your faith for anticipation for the promises of God. That's why Advent reminds us that we're waiting on God's promises to be fulfilled. Advent reminds us that God fulfills his promise regardless of the wait time. Regardless how long it takes, God is true to his word. It reminds us that God never fails. Advent reminds us that the waiting is worth it. Advent reminds us that God is a promise-giving, promise-keeping, promise-delivering God. And Advent reminds us that we are a promise-receiving people. That God is a God who gives promises. He's faithful to bring the promises of the past. But we are also a promise people, that all of us who are believers, we're here by a promise that we receive through faith that Jesus is the Messiah. He's faithful. And as children of God, God's children are always, always waiting on a promise. Touch your neighbor and say, you're always waiting. Always waiting. There should never be a moment in a believer's life where you're not waiting on God to bring another promise to you. There should never be a moment where you're not stretching your faith to receive something that God has offered you in his word. There should always be a moment where you're dreaming, you're standing on the promises of God, or you're praying to the promises of God because God is a promise-giving God. He's a promise-giver, promise-keeper. Actually, there's 8,810 promises in the Bible. Out of those 7,487 are from God to man. That means you have 7,487 promises that you could be standing on, receiving, and believing God for right now. 7,487. I don't know how many that is per day. That means you have enough every day you can be believing God. You could turn off the news and just read the promises of God. You could turn off social media and just look at the promises of God. 7,487. You know why that is? Because God's first language is promises. Like when God speaks, he speaks promises. When he spoke creation, he spoke promises. When he called Abraham, he spoke promises. When he called Noah, he spoke promises. When he called Gideon, he spoke promises. God's first language is promises. And so as we as people, our first language should be receiving of the promises because God is speaking promises. He's wanting containers that will actually hold the promises. And he goes from promise to promise. Once God fulfills one promise, he doesn't stop. He gives you another promise. And he builds them like Legos, promise upon promise, or grace upon grace, or glory unto glory. God is a promise-giving God. And so the, the issue may be, are you a promise-receiving child of God? Are you standing on the promises of God? And, and one of the things I love, the framework that God gives promises in. He just gives 7,487 promises. He gives us a framework in which those promises are delivered and fulfilled in his people. Now, I, I may not like the framework, but it is his framework. And God chooses to release his promises to his people through multiple generations. 
multiple generations of peoples. What that means is God continually is fulfilling promises from one generation to the next generation. From father into son, from son into grandson, from grandson into great-grandson. That God is a multi-generational God. He's the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a multi-generational God. Even when you read Matthew 1, which most of us skip over this in our Bible reading plan, it's one long genealogy. And what I think is what's interesting about the genealogy, we skip over it, but it's revealing to us is how God fulfills the promise. When you skip down to verse uh, 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That is right after the genealogy of the generations upon generations. That means that God fulfills his promise in, in, uh, inherently through one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Even people like Solomon, who was birthed out of adultery and an affair, God still transferred the promise from David into the child of adultery. Why? It's not about him. It's about the promise of God. And he goes from generation to generation. He passes along this family tree. That means God never fulfills his promise to you in just one generation. That's why your family is important. Because if you want to steward the promise that God gave you, it will never be completely fulfilled in just your life. It needs to be passed on to your kid's life. Like if you look at God's family tree as a tree of blessing. You look at my family tree, it looks more like a spider web of curses. Actually, uh, Phil Wigginton was telling me, he had a prayer request this morning. He said, well, it's my first cousin half-uncle. I was like, I, I've been in Alabama eight years. Please explain to me. First cousin, half-uncle, like his own dad, like da-da. And he's, well, he's like this and like this. So your family tree may have a lot of first cousin half-uncles in it. But your family tree also has some promises in it. And how one generation stewards the promises determines how the next generation walks in the promises. How one generation stewards the promise of God, how Abraham stewards it, determines how Isaac and Jacob will fulfill it. And so I'm telling you this here to stretch your faith that no matter what the promises you're standing on, it should be way too big for you to receive it just by yourself. Your prayer should be so big that it takes more than one generation to fulfill it. Your prayers never die. They echo through eternity. They echo through your family tree. They echo through the generations. And at some point, when your faith gets connected to God, he expands your mind that your promises is not just for Christmas. Your promise is for multiple generations. Like my prayer, I remember this years ago. God spoke to me. I was in prayer. And I was like, God, you know, and, you know, I thought this would happen by now, and I thought this would happen, I thought this, and da da da. And God says, well, what, what if I don't want to do that? I said, like, What do you mean? Like, these are my promises, God. He said, What if I don't want to do that? I said, like, Yeah, but you don't understand the American dream, like church, and da da da. And he says, What if I don't want to fulfill it for, through you? What if your whole purpose is just to prepare the way and receive the promise so RJ could fulfill it? I was like, See, you don't know him that well. He will mess it up. See, in our American minds, we think it's all about us. It's all about what I can accomplish, all about what I can receive, all about what I can do. And God is a multi-generational thinking God. 
That he may have you in a position right now to receive something. You may not see the fulfillment of it, but you holding it, you stewarding it, you watering it, you nourishing it, you weeding it. You can pass it on to the next generation who can then see the roots take root. That is the size of God that we serve. He is not limited by one generation. In fact, he actually enjoys fulfilling the promises from generation to generation. Why? Because it connects us. All together, eternally, not just temporarily. But the problem with God's promises, and you may not have this problem, but I have this problem. Is that I love the promises of God. I used to, when I was doing new, new Believer follow-up stuff years ago, we gave them the little promise book of God. Every page had different promises based on fear or anxiety or healing or prosperity. And I love it because new believers, their, their faith is fresh. They can stand with the And I love the promises. What I hate is the package they come in. I said, no, different packages come in different packages, or different gifts come in different packages. And the promises of God usually come in the package of waiting. The promises of God come through the packaging of waiting. Now, to you, that may not seem revelatory. But what that means is every single promise you will ever receive from God will come with waiting. There is no Amazon Prime next day shipping in God's kingdom. There is no next day air. There is no, we think that we, we pray one time, God, I need this, God, I want you to do this. We expect God to bring it to us right away through Amazon Prime. Like Jeff Bezos is on the payroll of heaven, he's gonna deliver it to you. No, it always comes with waiting. That's why as believers, we need a better theology of waiting because if we're going to receive the promises of God, you better be prepared to wait. You better be prepared to wait because it is going to come. In in the world, waiting is a curse. The world doesn't want to wait for you. The world is rushing for nothing. The world is, is, is rushing to and fro and rushing to Black Friday sales and Cyber Monday sales and to this. And the world is running, 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 running. But if you ask them what they're running to, they're not running towards anything. And people are worn out. They're tired. They're anxious. You know why they're anxious? Because they're running nonstop. Their minds are running. Their bodies are running. And God has never called anybody to wear themselves down. Like in the Air Force, anybody who's in the military will tell you one of the things you hear more than anything else is a term, hurry up and wait. I'm like, that's a contradictory term. I remember when I first got to boot camp, I'm starving to death. We traveled all night, we get there early in the morning, we haven't eaten, and I just wanted to eat. I'm, star- I'm 18 year old, starving to death. We get in our line, going through the chow hall, and I remember they put one spoonful of food on my plate. I said, that is not enough. Move on, and you keep on moving. You get three glasses of water, two glasses of Gatorade, because somebody died of water poisoning, so now they're going to poison us with Gatorade. That's how the cycle works. Go through. I sit down. Before I even take a bite, they say, hydrate and get out. you got to hurry and get to the next place. You hurry and get to the next place. You know what you do there? You wait. Then you get done with that. They hurry you to the next spot. You know what you do there? You wait, you hurry up. That is the world cycle. Hurry up and wait. But the kingdom is not in a hurry. The kingdom is in waiting. The kingdom is waiting. Now we're in an already but not yet kingdom. That God has already given us the kingdom through his Holy Spirit, but we're waiting for the kingdom to come to fruition when Jesus returns. We're not in a hurry. We're in waiting. 
which is important because there's a whole lot of believers out there. They just wish Jesus would come back today. God, I just wish the rapture would happen. If, if you believe in rapture, I just wish Jesus would return and just get us out of all this mess. God is actually waiting on us. God doesn't want to return to the most amount of people possible can know his son, can know him, and can be part of his kingdom. And so as the kingdom people, we're not in a hurry. We're actually anticipating coming. So we're working while we're waiting to prepare ourselves and the church, his bride, for his soon coming return. See, the kingdom is not in waiting, but the world is. And the difference is when you go to the story of Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael, is that Abraham had this promise from God. Now you're going to have this child, you're going to have this son, you're going to be more than the stars of the sky, more than the sand of the beach, that you're going to have more generations and more children than all these you can count. Right? Which is a great promise. But then after 10 years passes, no child. 15 years pass, no child. So at some point you think after 15 years, hey, my biological clock is ticking, Maybe I misheard God, or maybe God's not going to stay true to his word. Or maybe nothing is impossible for God. He can make both come together in the perfect timing. Well, Abraham, in the frustration and his waiting, he goes to his wife, says, Sarah, hey, how about I just have a child with Hagar, your servant, that way we can fulfill this promise. Sarah agrees, which we know is a trick of the enemy that no real woman would actually agree he gets Hagar pregnant. Now Sarah's jealous. Now Sarah hates Hagar and Abraham. He ships Hagar off and, and Ishmael off, this child, to keep Sarah happy, and he's still without a promise. Years later, the messenger comes back to, to Abraham and Sarah says, hey, you're going to have a child. She says, whoa, 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 I'm too old now. He says, is anything impossible with God? She then conceives a child named Isaac. He births Isaac. Now he has two children. See, here's how the world works. The world will always try to get you in a hurry so he can get you out of God's will. God will always keep you in waiting so he can keep you in God's will. See, while you're waiting on God, you'll never get outside of God. But while you're hurried, you can get outside of God's faith. And see, the difference is Ishmael, the world tries to birth Ishmael's. Ishmael's look like the promise, they smell like the promise, they taste like the promise, but you had to hurry to get it done. You had to chase to get it done. You had to make it happen yourself. It looks like the promise, but it doesn't fulfill you nor the promise. While Isaac's is with the kingdom burst, there's a waiting, 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 there's a waiting. But like the old commercial you say, the best comes to those who wait. While you wait, didn't you receive the promise? And the promise is perfect. In every single capacity. See, we need to be Isaac-type people. where We can wait no matter how long it's going to take. We can wait because we know the wait is going to be worth it. And we need to quit being Ishmael-type of people. We rush God. We hurry God. We try to make things happen. We try to manipulate and maneuver and politicize and try to get what we want to get done, done because it doesn't work. You may get something temporarily, but it never quite fulfills. It leaves you wanting for more. See, when you read the Bible, the waiting is part of the process. Abraham waited four, uh, 25 years for a son. And Hebrews 6, 13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
The waiting and the promise are connected together. From the fall of Adam to the birth of Jesus, 4,025 years for the promise of the gospel to come. Jacob waited seven years for his wife, Rachel. Then he got manipulated, waited another seven years. He waited 14 years for his wife that was promised to him. Joseph waited for his dream to be accomplished 30 years. And that 30 years went from a pit into slavery, into prison, into servanthood before he saw the promise fulfilled. The Hebrews waited for deliverance 400 years out of Egypt. And after they got delivered, they waited 40 more years in the wilderness. David waited to be king 15 years from the moment God told him or prophesied through Samuel, you'll be king 15 years before he sat on the throne. Mary waited 10 months before she could see the birth of Jesus. Jesus waited to start his ministry 30 years. The son of God waited 30 years to start his ministry. We can't get people to go to Bible college now. They think, oh, I know enough. Oh, I'm ready. No, you're 17 years old and stupid. If Jesus had to wait, who was the word incarnate before he preached the word, then maybe there's something to waiting that even the son of man needed to wait to prepare himself for the fulfillment of the promise. See, waiting is the packaging that the promise comes in. So no, but you, I've been to a lot of dirty Santa parties, which are the worst parties ever created by any human being. You know, when you go, there'll, there'll be some little bags that are like gift cards. You know they're a gift card. You got some boxes like this. And sometimes you get that package, you're excited. Anthony, jump up here. You can open this. You get excited to open the gift to find out what's in there. But even though you know it's probably a trick gift, open that up. Open it. Open it. And I have no idea what's inside there. So if it's something that's not cool, it's not me. Mmm, another waiting. So the promise was in the wrapping paper, which is the waiting. You unwrap that one, and then what is there again? More waiting. Open that one up. Mmm. Another season of waiting. Open it again. At some point, there's got to be something in there. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. So all that, so here's, here's the illustration. It's a cute Barbie. You know how frustrating it is to open a gift only to find there's another gift wrapped inside the gift? Then you open that up again. Every promise of God comes like that. You, you go through one season of waiting, you think you're done, and all of a sudden you're like, another season. You wrap that season, you get excited, and you unwrap that, another season. Maybe each one of those layers of paper was a, another 10 years. Maybe it was another season. You thought this is the season that's going to come to pass. No, every promise of God is wrapped in multiple layers of waiting. And for you to rush it doesn't speed up the process. For you to, to rush it doesn't speed up the timing that's going to happen. There's still layers, and God will get to the bottom of it when you're ready to get to the bottom of it. 
But the seasons are the training. It builds excitement. It builds anticipation. It builds preparation for you to get to what's inside there. So I don't know what's inside your promise. I don't know if maybe it was a, a promise of healing. It was a promise of deliverance. It was a promise of a child to get saved. It was a promise of a restored marriage. I don't know what's inside your promise. But just because you open the top layer and you're not there yet doesn't mean God's not fulfilling his promise. It just means there's another layer of waiting, another season of waiting. If Jesus waited 30 years, if Joseph waited 25 years, if Abraham waited 25 years, if Jacob waited 14 years, what makes you think you're going to pray one time, God's going to give it to you immediately? There are seasons of waiting. But the, the question would be, if that was your box we were opening up, what would you be waiting for? If we brought up your prayer box and we started unwrapping the waiting, unwrapping this season of waiting, unwrapping this season of waiting, what would be inside the box? Because see, to wait for nothing is agony. When you're just waiting for nothing, it's depressing, it's, it's frustrating, it's agony. But when you're waiting for something, when you're waiting for a dream, when you're waiting for a promise, when you're waiting for something that has the object of your faith on it, when you're waiting for something, it builds excitement and anticipation. So the question is, maybe you're frustrated with God. Maybe your prayer life has dwindled because you're not waiting for anything. And you're frustrated with God. God, what are you waiting for? Maybe God said, waiting for you to ask. What are you waiting for? What promise are you standing on? What promise are you waiting for God to deliver to you? Just a few promises. The Oxford Dictionary defines a promise as a declaration of assurance that one will do something or that a particular thing will happen. 2 Corinthians 1, 24, all the promises of God in him are yes and amen, amen to him, to the glory of God through us. So what are you waiting for? Now, you could, you could take that back to God and say, God, what are you waiting for? Out of frustration, God, I can imagine Abraham, God, what are you waiting for? I'm getting 80 years old, what are you waiting for? Well, you could take this God saying to you, what are you waiting for? It's like this old elderly couple they're at McDonald's, and they, the old man ordered a plain hamburger, no cheese, no ketchup, no mustard, no pickles, nothing. French fries and one drink. Sits down with his elderly wife. He cuts that hamburger in half. Slides one half to her. He keeps the other half. Then he counts out the French fries into two piles exactly, split in half. Takes the Coke, one straw. He gives her a sip. He takes a sip. A couple people are standing by and they're like, man, they don't have enough money but for one meal. And so this young guy comes up and says, hey, I can get you another meal. He's like, no, 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 we're used to sharing. Guy takes a bite out of his hamburger, takes a couple fries, takes a sip, gets her another sip. The little boy, young man comes back and says, hey, like, I can get you another meal. And the woman this time says, ma'am, I'm, I'm used to sharing. So the guy sits down, the old couple, the guy starts eating, eats all of his hamburger, eats all of his fries, drinks his soda, and they're still sitting there. And the young guy goes up to her and says, what in the world are you waiting for? The old lady says, the teeth. (laughs) 
you can't eat something until you're ready to eat it. You can't receive something until you have the faith teeth to bite into it. And so what are you waiting for? Some of the promises of God, promises of hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, we're called to a living hope with an inheritance as imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Promises of God's love, which in Romans 8 says, neither depth nor height nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Promises of intimacy. In Psalm 145, the Lord is near to those who call on him in truth. Promises of comfort, John 16, 13. I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Maybe for you it's a promise of strength. Isaiah 41, 10 says, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Maybe for some of you, maybe it's a promise of favor. You're needing God's favor in your life. Psalm 5, 12, you, O Lord will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as a shield with favor. Maybe it's a promise of healing in your body or somebody in your family's body. 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Maybe a promise of protection for you and your family. Psalm 91, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. Maybe you've been dealing with temptation or addiction and you say, I just, I just need God to deliver me. I need the promise. Maybe it's a promise of escape from temptation. First Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. For God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Maybe it's a promise of fulfillment. Delight yourself in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. Promise of deliverance, Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Maybe for you, it's just the promise of abundant life. You need your life to be prosperous and abundant. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Maybe it's the promise of joy, Psalm 35. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Promise of peace. Paul told the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Maybe for you, you're praying, you're, you need a promise of opportunity for success, of prosperity. Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God. He is the one that gives you the power to be successful. Maybe you're looking for answered prayer. You've been praying for years. Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Maybe you're just needing his presence. I talked to somebody this week. They said, I, just, I need to know that God is there. The promise of his presence. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Maybe you're just direction for your life or for your family. Proverbs 20, says, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? The promise of revision, Deuteronomy 20, the Lord will command a blessing on you in your storehouses. And in all to which you set your hand, he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. John 3, 2 says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Maybe it's the promise of your child's salvation. That at Christmas, you're 
You're right now you're looking at your family. There's kids that have turned away from God. They're living in the world. And you're like the prodigal son's father. just waiting and waiting and waiting. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Maybe it's purpose, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Maybe it's a promise. You just need to go, God to let you know everything's going to be okay. And maybe through the past two years of COVID, it's been chaotic. Maybe you lost loved ones. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost your house. Maybe you lost things. Here's a promise of everything working out. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Maybe it's wisdom, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The question is, as believers, you should always have a promise in a box that you're waiting for God to deliver. And so what would be your promise? It's, it's interesting to me at, at Christmas time, like we'll ask our kids, what do you want for Christmas? Make a list for Santa, make a, your wish list, whatever it may be for you guys. Like, what is your, the, and, and we can have more faith to write down an item on a piece of paper trusting that Santa Claus or a family member is going to deliver it on December 24th or 25th, then we will write down a promise on a list and trust that the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the redeemer of all mankind, the one who promised the Messiah, delivered the Messiah, who sent the Messiah, who gave us the Messiah, that he won't deliver on time. My prayer for you is that you have a promise that you are standing on, you're believing God for, and you're resting in that promise. And no matter how many layers of wrapping paper it takes, you know at the bottom of that paper is exactly what God promised you. So the question is, what are you waiting for? Joshua 21, I'm closing with this. It says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God is a promise-giving, promise-keeping God. But you have to be a promise-receiving and holding and standing on people. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if I can have our prayer team come forward, what are you waiting for? If you're waiting on nothing, it's going to feel like suffering. If you're just waiting for some ambiguous prayer to be answered that you probably didn't pray or you just gave a silent prayer request, you're going to be frustrated. But when you're standing on a promise and you're looking at that promise every day, it builds anticipation. It builds excitement. It builds faith. It builds preparation. And you stand on the fact that at some point, God will deliver his promises because they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. In Joshua 24, not one good promise was not fulfilled. All came to pass.
Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you are promise-giving, promise-speaking, promise-keeping God. I thank you that you've called us through your son Jesus to be a promised people, a people of promise. And I pray right now, Father, for a stretching of the spiritual wounds of every person in this room and online for them to receive the seed of your word, the promises that you've given them. For some of this room, Father, it's for sons and daughters that have strayed the path. I pray right now they can stand on that word that they shall not depart from. They shall return. Father, for healing, Father, that you said that you pray that our health shall prosper even as our soul prospers. Father, I pray for a healing to be held on to in this room. Father, for favor, you've given favor upon your people. I pray for people to hold on to it, for business owners to hold on to it. For wisdom, you promised wisdom, Father. I pray for them to hold on to the promise of wisdom and purpose and direction and guidance. Father, those dealing with temptation, Father, I pray they can hold on to the promise that they'll never face a temptation that you will not give them a way of escaping. Every head bowed, every head closed. I'm here in this room this morning. You say, you know what? I've been waiting on an opportunity to push the reset button on my life. Just a restart. Like when you're playing a video game and the game gets out of control, you're losing the game, you can just push reset and start over. Spiritually, Jesus gives us a reset. Where you can repent. I've messed this game up. I've been doing it my own. I, I had the controller in my hand. I repent. I give you the controller of my life. I confess that I'm sinful. I need you. I turn it over to you. We call that salvation. By your repentance, your confession, the blood of Jesus washes over you, washes your sins, and makes you brand new. It gives you a fresh start. See, that's me. Not going to have anybody stand up today. Not going to have you come forward. You say, you know, I need to acknowledge before God that I need this reset. You say, well, yeah, I can do that, but I don't think I should. No, no, the Bible says if you don't confess him before men, he won't confess you before the Father. He said, today I, I, need, I need that reassurance. That's you. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. So that's me. Just slip your hand up real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Put your hands down after you raised them. Anybody else? Wait just a second. I'm going to pray. And if you, you did raise your hand, I just want to help you along that journey. Just would you do me a favor and swing by Connection Point in the lobby on your way out? Just let that we have some resources we want to get to you, and we want to be able to pray for you this week. Father, we love you. And we thank you for all that you are. And I just pray during these next few weeks of Advent that you stir our faith. You stir our expectation. You stir our anticipation, not for Christmas, not for traditions, not for family gatherings, not for gifts, but for you. And an anticipation of the returning of Jesus' earth to wipe away every tear, to do away with death and sickness and disease, to do away with injustice and bring heaven to earth finally. Father, we bless you in this place. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said.